Welcome to Founder Stories, where we explore how founders build successful software products. This is a podcast about product management, development, remote work, and everything else non-technical as well as technical founders need to know to launch and scale software products. Today's guest is Craig Hewitt, founder of Podcast Motor, which has just merged with his podcast hosting platform, Castos. Craig, welcome to the show. Great to have you. Hey, Victor. Thanks for having me. Craig, so you're you're a non-technical founder, is that right? That's right. Yep. And so how have you ended up running a very successful SaaS business? Yeah. So I'd like to say I kind of kind of backed into to running a SaaS business. So so like my first foray into to kind of online business, as you mentioned, was Podcast Motor. So a productized service that does podcast editing and production and ran that for about four or five years. And in the course of that, one of our Podcast Motor customers actually introduced me to a fellow named Hugh Lashbrook who uh, was the the kind of original creator of the Seriously Simple Podcasting WordPress plugin. Hugh had taken a job at Automatic and wanted to sell the plugin to someone who would take good care of it. And so we bought the plugin and built the, the Castos platform kind of on top of that. So we kind of have a freemium model at Castos where the WordPress plugin is you know free. Anybody can use it to host their and host their podcast files wherever. One of the options to host your files is is with Castos, and it's really tightly integrated there to make kind of managing your podcast from WordPress really easy. And at the same time, you're still running your productized service, which allows people uh, done for you editing of your podcast shows. Is that right? Yep, that's exactly right. Perfect. So how how did you go about vetting that plugin? So you're you're being made aware by referral of a of a great WordPress plugin out there. You could buy it. It fits your your business, it fits your customer base, you can acquire more customers through it. What did you do? How did you decide to actually buy it? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, reflecting on it now, like a big part of it was the person that introduced me, Brad Tunard from Delicious Brains. So folks in the WordPress world probably know of Brad and, and their business. He's just like a really high quality, really good person in that space. So like him saying, hey, you probably ought to check this out was a big nod. Uh, and kind of vote of confidence. And then from there, probably didn't do as much due diligence as I should have, but you know, the plugin had a lot of, of good reviews in WordPress.org. So that kind of social proof and you know, maybe other folks doing some due diligence for me uh, was part of that. And I installed the plugin and, and you know, gave it a whirl and it worked great and, and kind of just went from there. Wonderful. And so fast forward to today, basically, uh, What's your what's your company set up now? What's your team team size? Uh, how how many people do you have on board? Yeah, so we're eight people full time now. Three developers, and I'm kind of the product lead, kind of the person that that aggregates a lot of feedback from different places. You know, we have a, a product feedback board where customers and people using the plugin can go and suggest and upvote things. We Obviously, I have like support channels that that give input into the product. I have things that I want to build, so so that's kind of what the product team looks like. Wonderful. Uh, are you guys in an office or are you remote? How does that look? Yeah, we've always been remote. Where where are you based? Where's your team based? Uh, so I live in Annecy, France, so about thirty kilometers south of Geneva. And then we have folks a bit all over. So we have a developer in Montenegro. We have a developer in Cape Town, South Africa. We have, uh, and our third developer is in upstate New York. And then success and support and marketing are all kind of on the East Coast in the U.S. 
How did you decide? Did you did you even decide for a geography, or was that all based on the people who applied? Yeah, it's all based on the people. Yep, uh, it's I should say it's all based on the people. But I like that we have kind of buckets. You know, we have this kind of European time zone bucket. So myself and our two developers here are on the same time zone, uh, and then in the U.S. they're all in the same time zone. And I think that that kind of congruency is important. Even if you're not all in the same time zone for groups of you to be in the same time zone makes it a lot easier to communicate synchronously. Is there any time zone that would have been too far or would that would, wouldn't that matter? Yeah, I, I think especially early on in a business where you're not as organized and not as good at documenting and have process around things that like for us, you know, someone living on the West Coast uh, or some places in Asia, probably where it would be seven, eight, nine hours difference for me is just too much. Cause like I have family and kids and I don't want to be working eight o'clock at night all the time. And I don't want to ask people to do the same thing. So even if people are, well, somewhat close to you, but then further apart from each other, so to speak, people left and right geographically mm. more east more to the west uh do you end up being a bit of a micromanager or a bridge in between people how how is that working yeah i try very hard not to be and i think that that's an easy trap for people to fall into maybe even more so for non-technical founders because we don't understand a lot of what is going on and we feel like we need to understand and have our hand on a bunch of things to have the confidence that that everything is going the right direction and it's something I've worked a lot on to say, like, I don't need to be involved in every conversation. I need to enable the leaders in our company to own the process and the outcome of the things that we're doing. And it's a it's a continuum, right? We're, you know, maybe a third of the way there. But but yeah, we're we're getting better at it. And how did you find your first and the subsequent developers? You have three, you said. Yeah, so so Jonathan Bossinger, our, our first and lead developer, was a recommendation from Hugh, uh, the fellow that built the plugin. They know each other. They're both in Cape Town. And yeah, so so Jonathan was just a recommendation, and that's worked out brilliantly. Danilo, our second developer, we started, we hired him from Upwork and kind of started on a project basis. We wanted to build like this admin panel. So that was a really kind of concise, you know, boxed piece of functionality that we wanted to build. And it was a nice way to to kind of start on a trial with somebody, um, not full-time at all. Um, so both from like a risk perspective and a financial perspective was easier. And then our third developer who hired about three months ago placed a, placed a, you know an ad in WeWork Remotely and that's where he came from. Um, and that process was intended for him to be, you know, to come from outside of our kind of sphere and to be, uh, you know, like a full-time hire right off the bat. Did you also do like a concise test project with him or not anymore? Yeah. Yeah. So our, our process that we did with him, with our latest hire, we really like, and we're running it again. Now we're hiring a fourth developer and we're doing test projects. And now even we're doing them as like the first step after the application. So we have the application, people fill it in. I kind of filter and then pick the, you know, people that I think have really good potential uh, and then send them a test project. Uh, we have a test project for Laravel and we have a test project for WordPress, depending on where someone's background is. And that's really the first way they interact with us. And it should take a couple of hours for somebody to do. And the the goal there is really to to get kind of the hard data on on how somebody works, what their code looks like, how well it's documented, what their commit messages are, how and how often they commit. 
uh, all these kind of work and workflow things around some a developer because like writing code as I'm coming to learn is like just a piece of it, but but how they communicate and how they work with the rest of the team is super important. We're, we're, we're parsing that out earlier now. What else have you learned over the past years working with developers day in, day out? Yeah, a lot. I mean, it's been it's been a, a huge progression from with Jonathan starting out. Literally, we had just this enormous Google Doc and a bunch of chats and Slack. And, and I think that's not wrong when you're just starting out. Like, I think people definitely can over-optimize a development process. But as we got like a second person, that definitely broke a lot of how we worked. And now we have a third person that's in a different time zone. And so that's broken a lot of how we work. But the, but the biggest thing is, has been because I'm not by nature, a really organized person. The biggest thing has been to be very clear about what I want to build so that they can go and kind of implement it successfully on their end. Because otherwise, like I'm ambiguous, I say just like a one-liner in Slack, hey, let's go build a login page or, you know, an admin panel. And they go build it and they make a bunch of assumptions that when they come back and say, hey, it's done, you can test it. Uh, I say, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this button's the wrong color. And, and that's just like, you know, they end up doing twice as much work. So we've done a lot around kind of our product process and how I take what's in my head and put it, you know, quote, on paper for them to be able to go and, and run with. So what was your biggest win here in that process? What addition did you make to your product process that made the, the biggest impact on clarity? Yeah, I think the the single biggest thing has been working with a designer because they are able to literally kind of help me take what's in my mind and put it in something that developers can see and understand. So Francois, our designer, and I talked through, you know, just like in a Zoom call, what I want to build. He asked a bunch of really good questions about UX kind of technical considerations. And then he goes and builds the, the mock-ups and the prototypes in Figma. And then the des developers then can take that and say, totally understand, like, this is what this is, and this is how this interacts, and they can go build it and get us a lot closer to, quote, right the first time. And at the same time, just as you said, you can also overdo documentation. You can overdo detailed descriptions. I know that from a lot of especially technical product managers who even try to do some of the developer's job and defining data structures, defining pages of acceptance criteria, what can or cannot go into a form field. And that's probably right in, in a lot of points, but maybe not in a very lean startup-y environment. So you, you've said to me before that you're trying to follow something that's called the shape up methodology. Can you give a super quick overview over, over what that is and where it's coming from? Yeah. So shape up is a book by the folks at Basecamp that talks about kind of how they do a product process. And, and part of it is, is from a kind of timing perspective, they work in kind of eight week buckets where six weeks of that is on where they're actively developing things. And two weeks of it is off where, Developers have some downtime and time to focus on refactoring, doing tests, updating libraries, things like that, that, you know, like we say, they're not really moving the prod product and project forward specifically, but that they allow the, the developers to then kind of go be successful and focus on building features and squashing bugs in those on cycles. Um, so yeah, we're six weeks on, two weeks off, roughly. 
here, like at the end of the year that that gets extended a little bit to, to accommodate, you know, just regular calendar stuff. But the idea really is that you don't define too strictly what you want to build right at the beginning, but you kind of shape it up. You know, you, it's like a, a ball of Play-Doh. You put it into a ball and then you do a little bit of molding on it and take a look and say, is this really what I want? You might go back, but but you try to as loosely as you can define what you want and then ask a lot of questions about like, am I really trying to make a ball or am I trying to make a, you know, a box, right? And And kind of asking yourself a lot of questions about like, specifically, what am I trying to build? And is is kind of this path we're going down getting us there or is another is there another kind of more creative or minimalistic path that we can take that achieves the same thing for the customer so essentially it's about giving a lot of context enough context just enough constraints to get going but then about molding it together with the developers with their feedback trying to get something yep. done and and review that quickly right Yep. Um, so yep. we'll, we'll definitely link up more about ShapeUp as well in the show notes. For for concrete management, what, what do you use for managing issues and tickets? Yeah, so we use Notion for almost everything. We use GitHub for like actual bug issues, but our kind of proactive uh, project management stuff is all in Notion. Wonderful. And do yep. you, are you, are you, do you also work in like sprints or is it more of a Kanban board or how, how is your setup here? Yeah. So each cycle, whether it's like an on or an off cycle, it has its own board. And in that board, there's like four or five columns. Uh, one of them is our backlog. So that's where everything goes. Everything we want to build, every idea we have goes in there. And then as we're kind of starting a new cycle, we have kind of all hands team call to discuss what we're going to have what's going to be included in that cycle, either an on or an off cycle. And we kind of pull things from the backlog into the kind of pending columns. And then there's pending and active and testing and reviewed and then deployed. So that's that's how we manage it. And then at the end of the cycle, all of the leftover stuff in the backlog gets pulled to the next cycle so that we don't forget it. And you, so you, you, you mentioned this backlog where you have everything you put in there, all the ideas you have, probably things that come from customers. How do you how do you prioritize that all these requests or your own ideas? Yeah, I mean it's it's like the epitome of compromise, right? It's like there are things that I think you have like from a business perspective you have to say this is getting prioritized because the business needs this, we need this to be competitive or gain a competitive advantage. And then there are things like this is like an edge case bug or this could be optimized um and like for me as a non-technical person, this includes things like updating our Laravel version, updating our PHP version, which like before I would have said, this is just wasted time. And now I'm understanding like, okay, this is important for us to continue to move fast in the future. And I would put things like writing tests in there that like we need to go back and refactor this thing and write a bunch of tests for it that has to be allocated in an on or an off cycle because it just helps us be successful going forward. Have you always been writing tests? Are these automated? Yeah, we've definitely not always been writing tests. We started about, gosh, maybe a year and a half ago. So for definitely like a year, a year and a half, we had no tests and that was a mistake, right? But we didn't know. I didn't know and you know, our lead developer didn't know. So we 
if I had it to do over again, I would definitely write tests from the beginning because I know it makes you go faster and with more confidence as the app gets bigger. But yeah, basically now our, our policy kind of is if you're touching a piece of code that doesn't have tests, it's your responsibility to write tests for it. But we didn't kind of go back and write tests for the whole product all at once. Nice. And what is what are the next steps for for Castos? What's on your roadmap? If if anything, if there's anything you can or want to publicly share? Yeah, yeah. So I think that in the in the podcasting space, the the big kind of trend and movement that we're really excited about is around private podcasting. Uh, so this idea that as opposed to this podcast, which you want everyone to listen to, there are a lot of scenarios for people to say, I only want specific people to have access to this podcast. And just a couple of examples for folks to think about is like you run a membership site or you run a course uh, and you want to offer a podcast to those members or those students. And then increasingly, you know, I'm a large organization. I want to have a podcast just for my employees on this team. And so things like HR and corporate like C-suite messaging sales teams are, are adopting internal company podcasts. And we have a lot of really cool tech around that. And so uh, a lot of interest and a lot of focus for us around private podcasting and even paid access to, to private podcasts that, that we're getting into. That's super exciting. Where can people learn more about Castos and yourself? Yeah. So castos.com, C-A-S-T-O-S.com is the place to go. And for myself, if you want to reach out, I'm at craighewitt.me uh, where I blog very occasionally, but you feel free to reach out. Love to Love to chat. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Victor. This show is brought to you by TrustShoring, your friendly concierge to find reliable and tested software developers from Eastern Europe. We recruit full-time developers, match you to an experienced software house that's ideal for your requirements, or recommend a reliable freelancer for smaller projects. But most importantly, you benefit from our experience of developing software remotely for almost 10 years. We give you one-on-one -on -one guidance all the way so you're never lost. Stop the tedious hiring or vetting process and get matched to reliable talent. Sign up for a free consulting call with one of our experts today. Go to TrustShoring.com.